Recording from the Financial Coach offices in Westchester, PA, this is Untucked, a podcast hosted by three financial advisors discussing markets, investing, and a bunch of other stuff. I'm Megan Tate, and I'll be joined by Mike Trainer and Jeff Masternardo. Let's get started. The opinions expressed on this podcast are our own and do not reflect the opinions or views of FC Advisory, the Financial Coach Group, or the New Wealth Project. Nothing discussed on this podcast should be interpreted as investment advice. What's up, guys? Uh, Thanks for tuning in. Today, we are going to talk about why complexity sells, um, our thoughts on the next recession destroying millennials, and Andrew Luck's retirement. Stay tuned. Uh, Welcome back to Untucked. This is Megan. And Jeff. And Mike here. (laughs) Um, Today, we're going to start with an article written by Morgan Housel. He works for and writes for the Collaborative Fund and their blog. Morgan, as always, at least in my opinion, writes so commonsensically uh, that he makes the point of this particular article, I think, in pretty much everything he writes. He's so concise and straight to the point. Um, Anyway, he makes four points about why complexity sells better and easier um, than simple and straightforward advice. So we obviously see a lot of this deal with a lot of this in our industry where do you guys want to start um yeah he he talks about this a lot and the the main thing for me is just it's it's psychology um of humans right there's a there's a people just have this um they gravitate towards people who they think have some sort of knowledge or insight that they don't and so if you talk about something and make it sound complex you're going to have an easier time selling your idea which is in our business you know we see it all the time that's how most investment products or solutions or ideas or what have you are sold it's it's i have this thorough understanding of this you can't possibly understand it but this is all i do and trust me you you know you you're going to want to you're going to own this or, or what have you and simple is a Simple is a hard sell, even though in most things in life, simple works better than complicated. Now, there's no doubt. I mean, it's it's the hardest sale of what we do, of our value proposition, right? Like we tell people all the time that investing is simple. Just pick your allocation, stick with it, keep your costs low. Um, don't move things around a lot. Don't like feed on fear or greed and don't listen to CNBC and you'll be fine. And then we get feedback from clients maybe like a year into a relationship, like, well, how come you guys haven't done anything on the investments? Well, I, I can do that. And we tell like, of course you can do it. We told you that from the get-go. You can do it. The problem is you're going to be emotional about your own money. And But if you cannot make a mistake with your own money, then yeah, don't pay us to manage it. And they sh- I think they struggle with that. And I don't know. I mean, I think if you're unemotional, you can do it on your own. Just Make sure you rebalance. Make sure you tax lost harvest. Make sure you do a lot of those little things. And I think that's where a lot of people fall or they forget to do that stuff. Um, I remember Carl Richards once wrote about he went in to make a pitch to like a uh, pension fund. And he's like, look, this is our strategy. And it was like super simple. And they were like, hey, thanks. No, thanks. And there were like two other people there that got called back. 
he went back to them with like this complete like bullshit like methodology of like 600 pages of how he's going to invest and they were like ooh like we like that we're we're going to hire you for that. like it it it's the same thing we see it at the retail level though yeah and we have you know clients will come in here with their Morgan Stanley statement not to pick on them but it'll have you know some hedge funds, uh, fund of funds, and there's global macro. It's a uh, uh, merger arb. It's uh, you know managed futures, market neutral, blah 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 blah. And it sounds really cool, and you know, but all it really is is just expensive and inefficient. Um, and you know, you can see how easy that stuff can be to sell to people who who crave this, you know, access to the to the person who's in control. The one that resonated a bit with me was at number two, length is often the only thing that can signal effort and thoughtfulness. I mean, whether it's in the the statements um, or if it's just in the conversation. I mean, I know we're telling people a lot recently to, you know, we got to stick with the plan. Like, we're not making any changes. We have to stick with your plan. And a lot of times that's not enough. You know, I think our clients generally have have gotten on board with it, but in times of volatility, when there's a lot of uncertainty, telling them like, you know, two, three or four word sentences just doesn't seem to, to do it for them. Like, well, what else? What are we gonna do? Nothing. Stick with your plan. Yeah, that's Be prepared for this. It's like, it's not enough. It's not a good enough response. Uh, no, that one was good. I like that number two point um, the, on, on the length of things. I mean, if you think about like, When's the last time you've been to a wedding and like the speech from like the best man or the maid of honor to just keep it short mm-hmm. and sweet and simple. And like you like you get a pat on the back like the entire night. The long ones like you want to like beat your brains in the long ones with all the inside jokes that no yeah, one else yeah, knows awful. what you're talking about. Uh, um, on the on the length, though, though, it's funny because you mentioned like the average reader doesn't come in close to like finishing a book like they like bail out after 12 pages. Um and like and books could be so much shorter like how many like there's so many industry books that i read that like chapter 6 was the same as chapter 3 like they can make books so much shorter but they just keep repeating everything kind of in in a, in a different way um yeah i resonated with that one he even said um a tweet can be more insightful than a book but people pay $20 for books and would never pay a cent for thousands of tweets right which I couldn't agree with more. <laughs> yeah, and the one, the other point that I thought was good was he says things you don't understand create a mystique around people who do, and you know you have a hard time judging limits of your knowledge in that field, so it makes you more prone to take whatever that other person's views are at face value. So I read this, I'm like, well, wait a minute, maybe Stephen Hawking was just a nut job, <laughs> <laughs> and he's not some brilliant genius. I don't know. I mean, the only other point I had on this was. You know, you're paying, like like people, we struggle kind of helping people understand that financial planning is investing, it's financial planning. The investing side is super simple, but you have to be careful not to make little mistakes. Um, you could probably do it on your own, but you have, again, you have to be unemotional and you have to pay attention to detail. And I kind of tried to like equate that to like, cause I'm, I love to be a do-it-yourselfer. Like, I can go put an addition on my house. Like it, I can know, I know how to cut a piece of wood. I know how to like hammer and nail things together. And if somebody gave me a manual, I can probably do it. But at some point during that process, I'm going to run into like 
where the wall's a little uneven. And you have to have experience to know how to make that shit work correctly. And I, I, think, I don't think people in our business that pay us for what we do put a whole lot of value on that. Like we're going to do things, little things here and there, like a Roth conversion or like um, don't pay your house down if you have a low interest rate. Like we're going to make some recommendations that are going to make real dollars and cents when you add it up in the end. And they just don't put a whole lot of value on that. Do you think there's tiers though to professions that that there is value in that or that people see value in that? Like doctors and lawyers, right? Maybe being like at the top of complex or not. Like everyone knows that if I'm not a doctor, I'm going to a doctor. Like I'm not gonna right. try to, right. to, to diagnose myself. I'm not gonna take, I'm not gonna go to court and represent myself. And I mean, I would I would argue that financial advisors, financial planners who do what we do should be there. Sure. But we're not on that tier, at least not from the consideration of the general public. No, I mean, like you can you can go and like, hey, I need life insurance and go buy life insurance or right. or get someone who doesn't really do it right or pay. And, you know, how many young couples do we see that have way too much whole life insurance and not enough term? It's because, well, you did it on your own and you kind of screwed it up. Yeah, and I think we're not like the financial adv- advice business because there's so many schleps in the business yeah. doesn't get put to that higher standard. So the, the complexity syndrome, I think, is more more severe in our business than others. Although, if you think about it, I don't know, if you go to your doctor and all he says is eat better, exercise more, that's all I got. That's all, that's all you need to do. I right. mean, is he going to lose patients? Are, are his patients or her pa- patients going to want something more, you know, a prescription or something that's more complicated than just, hey, do the simple things right and you'll be, you'll be fine. I don't know. Yeah. No, we just, no one just wants to do that. No one wants to eat better, drink less and exercise more. Just like no one wants to like save money. And- <laughs> right. right. <laughs> no, it's a good point. I mean, the, the, this simple advice is good advice, but like, like he points out in his article, people just love like the secret sauce, the hot topic, and and however I want to accomplish this faster and better is the way I want to do it. All right, cool. Moving on. The next recession will destroy millennials. This was written by Annie Lowry from The Atlantic. So we've talked a lot about millennials in kind of different capacities on this podcast, but I thought that this was insane i mean some of the like (laughs) well just like the platitudes in which she was talking it just felt like so much bigger than the point she was maybe trying to address i felt it was a sour grapes on her part i mean what's the millennial age cut off 37 okay she's 35 i looked it up so she is a millennial and i felt like she was just kind of whining about her own experience maybe you know she says in here that because millennials entered the job market when they did during the, by the way, the worst um, job market in 80 years. Mm-hmm. Now, I would even challenge that because, first of all, the, the financial crisis rebounded pretty quickly, right? It wasn't like the 70s that dragged on for multiple years and, you know, other time periods that that weren't such a quick rebound but forget about that 
She's making the point that because millennials don't own homes, they have no shot at building wealth. Basically, that's what she's saying, which is insane because you don't build wealth by owning a freaking house. Owning a house is an expense, period. Dude, I like highlighted that. Like that was, like as homeowners, I mean, I looked at what I paid for my house seven years ago and I tracked all the the things I've done to it since I've bought it over that seven years. I've put in what it's now worth. So all the growth that has happened and the value of the home, I've already dumped into it. So I'm getting out. Like if I sold it today, I don't make a dime on it. Like homes aren't a good wealth builder. And then her next line, the generation's home ownership rate is a full eight percentage points lower. Holy shit, Annie. Eight <laughs> points. Like who gives a shit about eight points, man? Um, a seminal way to build uh, wealth. It was stupid. It was what? stupid. Now, I, I was a little down on Annie. So I like did like more research. Person. Well, because oh, so did I. <laughs> Do you know that Annie wrote a book? Here's the title of the book. Literally, it's titled "Give People Money: How Universal Basic Income uh, Would End Poverty, Revolutionize Work, and Remake the World." Now, I'm not sitting here trying to rip on Annie or her book, but in my opinion, that is not the way <laughs> give to re- remake. The- give people money. Period. So you, you know where she's coming from, and uh, you know this article is just as maddening to me. There's just so many factors that go into some of these comments. Like she she talks about um, they're the first generation that's going to be worse off than their parents. I think the millennials are going to get a pretty significant inheritance that their parents' generation didn't get. Mm-hmm. Um, millennials are entering that like, wait, where is it? The next downturn might stall their careers, sucking away their wages and their right for millennials to enter their prime earnings year. year. Their prime earning years? Their prime earning years are going to be between the ages of 50 and 60. They have like they have plenty of time. If the market goes down now and the oldest millennials 37, 38, okay, so market's going to go down until they're like 42, 43. And then they still like they have so much time. I I fact-checked her oh. Yeah, I, I did. <laughs> uh, I, where like, are your I notes? Com- I completely lost it. <laughs> I have no idea where it is. Is it on the notepad? No, but she had mentioned how um, the millennial, their net worth is 40% lower than Gen Xers and 20% lower than boomers. Now or? So she looked at. Um, oh, at the end of the 1980s. Got yeah, it. so yep. the the. the the net co- worth of your average millennial household is 40% lower than for Gen X households in 2001 right. and 20% lower than for right. baby so boomers. So Gen X in value in 01, yep, got it. baby boomers in 89 versus Gen X or, uh, millennials in, in, in 2016. So I clicked on like the paper, like the net worth where it's underlined in mm-hmm. the little thing and read it. And she's right. But what I like what I... Like boomers had less had less debt. Well, that was because that was a cultural thing. Like when baby boomers were growing up, you didn't accumulate debt. Today, I can put an addition on my house and go to Depot, and I can get a zero percent loan for twenty four months. So why wouldn't I take advantage? Why wouldn't I carry more debt? So I mean, there were just a lot. There's a lot of variables that go into and into the, into these comments, and it's not like millennials don't have net worth. They do. I mean, they still they just don't have as much as 
boomers did. And then she points to a disadvantage being they're putting off saving and buying homes as well as getting married and having babies because of their crummy jobs. Well, guess what, Annie? Putting off buying a home, putting off having kids is going to financially benefit you. Yeah, it's going to be better for us. It's Yeah, it's just... I I just felt like some of the phrasing that she used was just so dramatic. Millennials got bodied. No, I love that phrase, but like, love it. It's so it's it's not it's weird to use. I I feel like um, if they have no money, how'd they get bodied? Because they lost their jobs, <laughs> and they have they have fifty years to 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 accumulate wealth. Well, and that's another like an interesting point I was thinking about as I was reading this, like the way that the retirement like landscape or the idea of retirement has changed so much. Um, you know, millennials don't work in as many labor-intensive jobs as boomers did, right? Right. So, like, our longevity, we're living longer, we're more educated, we have access to better health care. Like, the whole hanging it up at 62, 63, 64 is just, it's not going to happen as it has traditionally. I feel like we're, we're in a position with technology especially to be able to do our job or some job for a lot longer, right? So I didn't even think of that. That's a great the point. The longevity of us is is not traditional, and it's it, it kind of it, it disagrees with everything she's saying because she's defining like retirement at a certain age, and I just don't think that millennials are going to be the sixty two who hang it up and never work again. And I would argue that some like Gen Xer, right? What are you guys? I'm a Gen Xer. Yeah, Mike. like some Gen Xers are the same. Like Mike might be a boomer. Am I? You're not a boomer. Boomer, <laughs> gotta be kidding me. That was Jeff, not me, by the way. Um, I, I mean, I just, that's that's the message I took from it was I felt like she was defining a timeline that is just not going to exist by the time millennials are approaching whatever their retirement will look like. It's a shame that she doesn't have the expertise in like the I don't want to say financial planning, but I'll, I can't think of anything else in that area because she she makes the point that they missed out on the biggest asset boom that occurred between 2010 to now and appreciation is unlikely to be as rapid in the near future why like like so they missed out on it well yeah if i'm a boomer at 37 i mean literally i have 60 more years left to accumulate wealth and to build wealth and to use my wealth you're you're telling me like that appreciation is never going to happen again in that sixty year? Of course, of course it is. Just because you missed one of the great runs doesn't mean there's not going to be another great run. So, and the near future means absolutely nothing to a, to a millennial right. when it comes to their net worth, which is which is what her point is like building net worth and and having a net worth. And yeah, it's a shame because it's 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 really down, and there's a lot of potential for millennials and there's a lot of potential for them to accumulate wealth and build wealth and be wealthy and like you just said meg i mean the drone operator is going to be able to be a drone operator for 50 years instead of digging ditches which you're dead in like 12 years i just feel like millennials get shit on by everybody else for a millennial to like take this perspective and not be just a little more optimistic about the state of affairs her community must suck like i think about my friends who generally, like, a lot of this doesn't apply to. I'm not going to say that everybody owns homes or everyone's gotten married or everybody's had children, but those have been conscious decisions for reasons other than, like, financial. They've decided not to do those things. 
um, because we've chosen to spend our money and time elsewhere. And I don't think if you pulled at least my people, like my people, anyone would regret a lot of those decisions. Right. Yeah. I just hate the fact that there's millennials out there that could read this and be like, yeah, I mean, F the boomers, F the Xers. Like they had it so much We're better. All screwed. Right. Like, I mean, she made a comment about how two thirds of millennials have zero retirement savings. Welcome to the world of baby boomers. My parents didn't have any money in their 30s. None of my friends' parents had any other. Like, no one had money in their 30s. I didn't have money in my 30s. Like, that's when you like you you build it as you get older. So that that kind of I, I just so I was kind of down on her. I thought when I when I read that one thing about net worth, I'm like, there's no way their net worth can be 40 percent less than. So I fact checked it, and she was right. I mean, she used again. I think the numbers are a little skewed because there's too many variables involved. But man, stop being a Debbie Downer, Annie. Seriously. Yeah. Anything no, else we, on that, Michael? No, I. I it, it's all. I don't. We sort of beat her up, so I think we're good. <laughs> I mean, I got no, Sorry, other than, Annie. Well, what was the point other of Other than her? the comment about referring to a, a Credit Suisse study that kind of backed this up, saying, you know, there's this millennial disadvantage, and we only expect a minority of high achievers and those in high-demand sectors, such as technology or finance, to effectively overcome, overcome this disadvantage. Okay, well, then get yourself into one of those high-demand roles. Right. That's what you do. I mean, just the next recession will not destroy millennials. It won't destroy anybody. Right? If you're willing to work and you lose your job as a millennial in the next recession and you're willing to work, you'll be able to sustain yourself, get through, you'll get another job, a better job when the, when the, when the recession turns. You, you could argue that the people who get destroyed the most are the boomers with all the wealth that gets eradicated. In this right, because they're not going back apocalypse. to work. Right. Hang in there, millennials. You'll Thanks. be fine after the next recession. <laughs> don't listen to Annie. All right. Andrew Locke. I don't even know. How long ago was this? Like two weeks probably that he announced the retirement? Yeah. About Probably that. right. Yeah. Um, so Andrew Locke at 29 announced that he was retiring from the NFL. And <clears throat> there were a lot of fan reactions, whether you watch the clip of – him walking off the field at their preseason game and being booed by Colts fans, or if you read through anything on Twitter, a lot of people who had very strong feelings about this decision. Um, anybody in the NFL or with intimate knowledge of what NFL players go through felt dramatically different than just the, the everyday fan. So, I mean, I think... Uh, um... My first reaction was the one part of it that said the commentators on social media like let loose with all sorts of dumb opinions. It's like I'm going on a tangent, but the fact that you can just go on social media when this guy retires, which by the way, I mean he's gotten his ass kicked. Ass kicked. I mean the what lacerated kidney, mm -hmm. torn labrum in his shoulder, mm -hmm. yada ankle concussion i mean just go through i mean the guy's gotten his ass kicked for you to have an opinion on this i mean there should be some kind of like you have to go through some kind of protocol before you can just blast somebody on online 
Well, I thought along those lines, who was it, Gottlieb or whatever? Is yeah. that the guy's Doug. name who got all the, the attention for his tweet that was ripping him? Yep. I think if you have that opinion, I think that's fine. But if you actually go on there and, and tweet that like he did, you got to know. You, you're, you're an idiot if you don't know and expect the response you're going to get. And you're just a troll and maybe you're, you're looking for that. And you, the asshole factor is just enormous for a guy like that. You, you just keep it to yourself if, if you feel that way because you can't put yourself in the shoes of an NFL quarterback who's gotten his ass handed to him for ever since he was a kid probably mm-hmm. and, and, and what that does to you mentally. Yeah, I mean, Gronk in the article said that pretty well, how he just, you know, you get, your, you get beat up every day, every Sunday. And it affects your mood. It affects. It can bring you down. Um, so having to deal with that is 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 tough. And I was kind of amazed going through the article how many people did like like. So Luck called it quits. He's twenty nine. Mm-hmm. Martellus Bennett quit at thirty one. Barry Sanders quit around the same age. Kronk at thirty. Uh, there Calvin was Johnson. Calvin Johnson. I totally forgot about Calvin Johnson, dude. 30. I didn't realize he was that young. Out. Done he at just 30. was so prolific for so long. I assumed that he'd been older than he was. So I was like, um, I was thinking about that. I'm like, man, there's a lot of guys that like called it quits like early, mm-hmm. but there's also a lot of guys that aren't. They're going out every Sunday, like beating their bodies up with 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 no regard for their future because it's I mean, you're getting a paycheck. And Martellus's Bennett comment was was awesome. Like the game gets what it needs from you, then moves on. Now the players are getting what they need from the game and moving on. It's effing up the ecosystem. Like he's the smartest one out there, and he should be telling like all these kids get a job in the NFL, get paid, and then get the hell out as soon as possible when you got enough money to bank and and live the rest of your life. That's what Luck did, man. He's smart for it. How if you're a fan, how can you take it that personally? that you get out there or yell about it. Is it just fancy football people that, had, that drafted him and are all pissed off? I mean, I don't understand how any fan or person could take it that personally. In their defense, it's a pretty big deal. I mean, if you drafted Luck <laughs> early, if you drafted him high, and then all of a sudden he's off your team, for you to go to the waiver wire at that point, I mean, there's no, <laughs> there's one, no left. one left. There's no one left. <laughs> I would be pissed too. <laughs> Thankfully, my draft was after Luck quit. I mean, it's, it's fantasy people, and it's – we live in a city where it's it might be worse than any other sports town in the country. Imagine if Wentz hung like that's, up. And that's why it's hard for I, I don't if if this happened in Philadelphia, there would be riots. <laughs> True. Riots. They would go to North Dakota State oh, yeah. and like burn the stadium down. Yeah. Like it was their fault in some way. Um I, I just feel like with everything we know now about football and the long-term health effects on these men like how can you how can you question it for a single second i mean these are men with families and aspirations and like they don't want to end their careers and not be able to reap the benefits of putting their you know sacrificing their body every sunday i have to believe that and he made a decision at 29 to like change his life and he made a lifestyle choice and why can anybody be mad about it mad is, about is football viable in 20 years yeah the sport no. absolutely it's not going anywhere couldn't disagree disagree 
It's it's not going anywhere. This might be like looked back on as like one of the really important moments turning in, points. in in the game of football. <laughs> turning points. That turning eye points. roll. How long has football been around? Too long. <laughs> but how long has it been around? How really? different is it now? Then it, like, it's so much more violent and dangerous, and the and the effects are are obvious. Is it more violent? Absolutely. In nineteen twenty, the American Professional Football Association was formed, and let me tell you, this guy looks like a nerd. Looks like a Neanderthal. No, like this looks like my grandfather. So, yeah, like to that, well, the, the image like, of look at him. That's yeah, yeah, what yeah, yeah, people yeah. had in mind when football started. No, but like you the, getting hit by that. <laughs> the image of Chuck Benarek standing over the guy. I forget who he hit, but he's like Gifford. Gifford, maybe Frank he's Gifford. like dead. Like that still happens today. Like it hasn't. They're bigger. They're faster. It's just as violent as it was back then. More so. I don't know, man. I just and it hasn't changed. Now I think the whole concussion and these these athletes realizing. By the way, they're making way more money now than they were 20, 30 years ago. So they have the ability to not work anymore and like not work in football anymore and sustain themselves. So that's just that's just a product of of how successful football has been. Right. That's a function of popularity. That these kids can now hang it up. Whereas 30 years ago, these animals who played, they had to keep playing to, to get a paycheck. They didn't have money banked because they weren't making, they weren't signing $30 million deals. So those guys, they did it and went out every Sunday because they had to, to make a living, to sustain themselves and their family. They don't have to do it today. So I think it's going to be just as viable. They're just going to be, yep, Luck's gone. He, he played for five years. The next guy's coming in. He's going to play for five years. But I think I'm saying over like 20 years, the, the, the changes in the sport and the pressures to change and what it ends up looking like and becoming, I think are going to be massive, massive. As long as they continue to modify rules because of injury concerns. Like, isn't the game just going to change to the point where it's not as enjoyable? And then if it's not getting the spectators, then it's not, they're not showing it every Sunday? I don't know. I mean, I was 22, 20 years ago. Football hasn't really changed much. They move the kickoffs up so they don't return it as much anymore. And you still, like, since I've since I've been 22 to today, Eagles season tickets have been sold out every year. I don't think it's going to change that much in 20 years. There's still meatheads. Like, I, I go to my son's football, flag football, and the parents are still meatheads, which means those kids are still going to be meatheads when they grow up, which means they're still going to go watch football. And there's only 16 games, so yeah, they're going to be sold out, man. But you guys can go watch cricket on Sunday. I'm going to be watching the NFL. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> I think the um, the the money factor of it is going to change the longevity of the athlete in the sport, which I think will be the biggest change. I think the sport's still going to be around. I don't think they're ever going to take out tackling. When you say the longevity of the athlete, what do you mean? The, the, the average athlete in football plays barely at all. Be what, like two He's years? one and done, out. And they're not, they're not uh, financially independent by any means. No. It's but, only a real small minority of the, of the players that, that, that cash those you know, eight-figure 
bonuses you think and signing the deals. Average, the average tenure in in the uh, in the NFL is one year. I would say two would be my guess. I know. I know the average running back is like three or four, but right. I mean the average player. I mean, you know how interchangeable these parts are, and, right? You know, right. that's all they are—just parts. It's interesting because I'm reading the article. I'm like, man, th- these guys are. St- they're they're on to something like get out early because i mean the life expectancy of nfl players is like 50 to 55 that's not true i back checked that so the life expectancy of nfl players is actually better than the average male out there well we probably have to clarify quality of life right yeah i'm just i'm just talking about life expectancy like, like i thought alive. they died in their 50s they don't oh they live longer. Right. Well, that makes sense. Like physically. They're healthier people. Yeah. They're, your yeah. body yeah, yeah, yeah. is going to be able to, but your head, your brain. Yeah. And your like knees, living with a, like as a vegetable. Your back, you can't walk. I mean, that's right. you know, quality like, that's of life. That's not living. Right. Right. What's our top five this week, Meg? It is TV show characters you would want to hang out with. Go ahead, Meg. Me? Okay. <clears throat> Danny McBride. Can you please clarify who that is? <laughs> from Eastbound. Eastbound or from uh, Vice Principal? Eastbound down. Right. That's yeah. the, the guy, the white guy with the jerry curl? Yeah. So it's actually Kenny Powers, if you want. Kenny Powers. I'm it. sorry. Got it. So I, I was just saying this to Jeff. Have you watched The Righteous Gemstones? Yes. Are you enjoying it? Of course. So I think that's part, partially why he made my list because I'm very like I'm watching him right now. I'm like very into that show. Um, either of you ever watched Broad City? No, no. So I did like a pair here. Abby and Alana are the main characters on the show. Didn't see it. Never heard of it. <laughs> Dude, I'm over two on her people. Um, okay, and then Coach Taylor from Friday Night Lights. <laughs> That's mostly because I'm in love with him and have been in love with him. That's for... the guy from Bloodline. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Andy, I don't, I can't think of his last name from Parks and Rec. It's Chris Pratt's character. Oh yeah, yeah. You guys okay. ever do Parks and Rec? Yeah. Do you I guys watch that. any of the same shows? I, I watch? never watched that either. Uh, and then this is another twofer: Jack and Karen from Will and Grace. Okay. Never watched an episode. Jesus Christ! All right. So Karen's on mine. Okay. And I can't believe you went there. I didn't think you've even heard of Will and Grace. Yeah, it's like one of my like top five. Karen Walker. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, she is. What's her real name? Megan, Megan Mullally. Mullally. I couldn't pronounce her last name. <laughs> All right, so Karen Walker's on mine. Um, Barney Stinson. Come again. Oh, Neil Patrick Harris. Yeah, from How I Met Your Mother. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, he's like he's like a womanizer. Never it's a horrible it. character. It's a great character. You're absolutely it's wrong. A piece of shit. Um, <laughs> JB Smoove. Yeah, that's a good one. What's that? From Curb. Yeah, he's Larry David's oh, uh, friend, okay. the black dude. Yeah. Okay. Leon Black, I think, is his name. Uh, Norm, which is a standard. From he's from Cheers. Cheers. Oh. It was Cheers a really was a popular, popular sitcom <laughs> in the uh, <laughs> before I was born. In the 1960s, I think. <laughs> and my last one would be uh, and would be my he would be my top would be Charlie from Two and a Half Men. Huh. Oh, that's a good one. Okay, that's a good one. 
So I had Kenny Powers, but my others are um, Ron Swanson from I had, Parks and Rec. I was debating between Ron and Andy. I That's never a good saw one. Ron's Parks and Rec. Uh, it's so good. Isn't isn't um, Amy Polar Polar in that? She's the main character. She wouldn't be on your lists. Not her character. I'm sure she's dope, but yeah. she, Leslie's like not great. Okay, I've she's, never seen it. I just see her face, and she makes yeah. me laugh. Uh, I have George Bluth, the the older brother of. Um, What's his name? Oh, is that Arrested in, Development? In Arrested Development, mm-hmm. yeah. Very mm-hmm. funny character. Ne- never saw it. Yeah. And I can't believe you guys didn't come up with this one. I got Johnny Drama from Entourage. Ooh, that's a good one. I've never yeah. seen Entourage. <laughs> that's a good one. I've yeah. tried. I just can't get into it. I think you, I think for that one, you get the whole Entourage. Like you get yeah. Vinny, you get Turtle, you get E. Yeah, the package deal. Yeah, yeah you have yeah. to. Because I don't think I'd want to hang out with Johnny Drama, just me and him. Which one's he? He's Kevin Dillon. Uh, oh, okay. Okay. The, the, the he's like goofball. the absolute biggest d bag on the planet, but he's funny. He's like you're d bag, so like you're you're <laughs> yeah. you're you're okay because right. he's he's on your team. Yeah. Well, you would want to hang out with him solo. Well, I mean, I didn't know it was a package deal. That's a whole different question. Whole different topic. No, I get that. So you knew it was a solo deal, and you went. Yeah. All right. I mean, if I got to pick one of that show, it's gonna be him. Right? <laughs> That's fair. Uh, that uh, that's it. You guys covered my other ones. So what were the other ones? Uh, Kenny Powers. Oh, Kenny. I had George, Ron, Johnny. Oh, I got Jermaine Clement from Flight of the Concords. I watched like one or two episodes of Flight that of the Concords. Funny. Yeah. I've never even heard of that. Yeah. I highly recommend it. My um, what do they call honorable mention? Oh, you have one. Yeah. Was Beverly Goldberg? Ah, oh, annoying. I think she'd be. Can you imagine, like, not like intentionally trying to get her drunk for other purposes, but like hanging out, having drinks? <laughs> can you imagine, here? like, having drinks Who with her? Who is she? The mom from the Goldbergs. Oh. Like, she's a total I wacko. Know anyone actually watch the Goldbergs? <laughs> Our kids watch it, so. Yeah, and Jeff. I mean, it's, Jeff. it's a Philly reference. How can you not watch it? Well, that's a wrap on today. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, as always, you'll be able to get the links to the articles that we discussed today um, in the episode description. Uh, make sure you follow our Twitter at Untucked Pod, and we'll look forward to having you back soon.